Prudent Money with Bob Brooks is sponsored by the Prudent Money Foundation on 91.3. Well, 2030, how today's biggest trends will collide and reshape the future of everything. Today on Prudent Money. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, what is the significance of 2030? Today, author Mauro E.F., excuse me, Mauro F. Guillen is my special guest today to talk about his book, 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. Mauro is considered one of the most original thinkers at the Wharton School, where he holds the Zanman Professorship in International Management and teaches in its flagship advanced management program. Mauro is a sought-after speaker and consultant, and it is my pleasure pleasure to have him on the program. Mara, welcome to Prudent Money. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me. You know, listen, I think congratulations are in order. Your book was just announced. Your book, 2030, has just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list at number five. That's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, let's get into the material. There's no question that the world is rapidly changing. We can see that just comparing today to a year ago. You know, talk about the thesis of your book and the significance of 2030. So the whole point of the book is that, yes, there's been changes in the world, but we haven't seen anything yet. By the year 2030, uh, we're going to have more grandparents and grandchildren. The emerging markets of Asia are going to be the biggest in the world. The U.S. will lose its coveted number one spot. And we're going to see technology, you know, really taking over many aspects of our lives. So once again, yes, we're in the midst of a lot of change. <clears throat> but I don't think we have seen, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, like uh, even half of uh, what's going to happen between now and, uh, and 2030. So, so the important thing is to, 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 to be aware of that and to start preparing for what's coming. Let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19. How has that impacted everything? Uh, you know, talk about the impact of COVID has had on these uh, changing trends. Well, for the most part, with only two exceptions, and I'll tell you what they are, the COVID-19 pandemic accelerates trends. Uh, so remote work was already going on. Now the pandemic has accelerated that. Uh, people are postponing having babies because there's so much uncertainty and maybe they've lost their jobs. So that accelerates population aging. And that essentially sets more doubts on the viability of social security, for instance. And, of course, it has accelerated the use of technology across the board. Uh, but there are two trends, I have to admit, that COVID-19 tends to slow down. One is uh, women. So women have been making a lot of progress. But as you know, unemployment right now is growing faster among women than men. And secondly, cities. Remote work, I think, um, you know, raises a lot of questions about uh, big cities, especially in Europe and here in the United States. Now, in the book, you talk about demographics are going to drastically change in the next 10 years. Give us a look at how not only the country, but the world's going to look in 2030. Well, look, um, when you and I, I think, were growing up, Africa was an insignificant part of the world, population-wise, and also from an economic point of view. As you see, by 2030, which is only 10 years away, Africa will be the second largest region in the world by population. Mm -hmm. And that's going to change the entire global dynamic. And remember, Africa is no longer the basket case that it used to be. Africa 
is actually quite ahead of the curve on, uh, in many ways. For example, when it comes to mobile payments uh, or telemedicine, they've been using those technologies for 10 years now. Um, so that's, uh, I think, in terms of the redistribution of economic activity in the world is going to be, by a wide margin, the biggest impact. Now, of course, you also have China and India, but uh, you know, we've already come to terms with that reality. I think now we need to focus our attention on what's going on in Africa. Now, you made an interesting point in the book about immigration. You wrote, immigration is so controversial because we tend to focus more on the downside than the upside. Talk about the upside to immigration and what that looks like. Well, look, uh, here in the United States, um, take a look at the most innovative companies. Uh, This conference may be recorded. And several others. um, What they have in common, besides having revolutionized their respective areas of activity, is that they have a foreign, non-U.S.-born entrepreneur, either as a founder or a co-founder. So that's one thing. Another one is think about, as I mentioned earlier, population aging. How are we going to pay for pensions when we're not replacing ourselves? Our fertility rate is 1.7 in the United States. That's less than two per woman that we need in order to replace the population. So, yes, immigration brings problems, but also immigration brings a younger population. It brings people who are willing to work. And it offers, I think, a path out of this problem that I think we're going to be facing big time in about 10 years from now. The trustees of Social Security themselves have projected that by by 2029, the solvency of the Social Security system will be in question. Well, in the book, you write about the older generation and the concept of retirement will be radically different. You also point out the spending power. This is interesting, the spending power of the older generation. How will old age, or as you write in the book, gray is the new black, how will the concept of old age look different? Well, look, uh, from the, for, for the first time in history, in American history, the largest consumer segment is going to be the population about age 60. And our definition of what it means to be about the age of 60, I think, has to change because a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old today and in the future will be somebody very different from a 60 or a 70-year-old 20 years ago. That person is going to be in much better shape physically and mentally. And he's going to have many more years ahead of him or her in terms of life expectancy. And remember, this is very important, I think, for your listeners, 80%, 80% of the net worth in the United States is owned by people about the age of 60. Mm. Um, so if you put all of these things together, you realize that the economy, not just politics, also the economy, is going to gravitate around that generational group. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. My special guest is Mauro F. Guillen, and we're talking about his book, 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. As I mentioned, it was just announced that his book made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list at number five. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things, Mauro, about your book is that I've interviewed a lot of people today who've who've talked about what's going on in the future, but they wrote it pre-COVID. How did uh, how, what was the timeline of you writing the book in the pandemic setting in? So I did most of the research for the book over the last uh, six years or so, and I wrote most of the book uh, before the pandemic uh, started. Uh, however, my only regret, quite frankly, is that instead of titling the book 2030, perhaps a better title would be 2028. 
because I think the future is just arriving much faster, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Right. Most of the trends that are going on that will affect consumer markets, financial markets, everything, are being accelerated by this pandemic. Think about automation. Think about technology adoption. Think about remote work, all of those things. And once again, a couple of them, the role of women and uh, cities, um, the potential uh, future of cities, I think we will need to reconsider in light of the pandemic. But for the most part, the pandemic accelerates things that were already going on. So the future is just simply arriving much, much sooner. You're talking about the spinning power of the older generation. How will companies make a shift to tap into that buying power of the older generation? Yeah, so I've been talking to a lot of employers over the last uh, few weeks and months. And you see, this trend towards remote work, I think, is going to help that demographic. Because people above the age of 60, 65, maybe they feel, oh, you know, I'm lonely. I'm not having as much fun as I thought in retirement. But I would like to work, but I don't want to go and work full time. I'd like to be able to work from home. I'd like to take on tasks that uh, suit my expertise. So I think that what's going to happen is that because both uh, people above that age will want to make a little bit more money, and also because companies are going to be short on on certain types of talent, uh, I think we're going to see more seniors working on a part-time basis, uh, oftentimes from the home, using technology. And I think this is going to change the way we think about retirement. So it's not going to be full retirement, 100% retirement for many of us. Mauro, now does it does it does the the, uh, the fact that people are so far behind when it comes to retirement does that play into this thesis at all? Well, um, you're, if you're referring to the fact that uh, people are not saving enough for retirement, right. I think that is definitely going to accelerate this trend. And the ups and downs in the stock market, unfortunately, as you know, uh, oftentimes people make uh, the wrong decision. They take their money out and they they don't uh, benefit from the recovery of the market that has been taking place over the last uh, two or three months. Uh, So, yes, I think that poor um, planning for retirement is going to contribute to this trend. But even without that, I think people are realizing that retirement is oversold. In other words, that now that once you reach the age of 60 or 65, you still have on average another 25 years, which is half a lifetime almost, then you know people are thinking, hey, that's too much free time, too much leisure. I want to work. I want to be useful. And people also feel better about themselves when they are useful, when they can make some money and get things done out there. You know, it was interesting, Mauro. I, w- I was reading a, a statistic the other day that Warren Buffett, between the ages of 65 and he just turned 90, 90 earned 84% of his net worth. That just kind of fits in there with what you're saying. It's amazing. I'm not surprised. Because you see, uh, people about the age of 60 or 70, it is true that they decline from a cognitive point of view, but you know, the, the experience that they have accumulated yes. more than compensates for the cognitive decline. And once again, I mean, a 70-year-old today is in much better shape physically and psychologically than a 70-year-old was 20 years ago. Let's talk a little bit about China and the U.S. relations and and what that looks like. You know, we've had this trade war occurring between the the two countries. How will relations between China and U.S. look in, in 2030? Well, China indisputably is going to have the largest consumer market in the world by the year 2030. 
So I think that's going to have major repercussions in the U.S. You see, a lot of companies are going to be thinking in terms of the Chinese consumer when they launch a new product or when they come up with new marketing techniques. Also, regulation of consumer markets is going to depend more on China as the largest consumer market, the same way that over the last 60 or 80 years, the U.S. consumer market was calling all of those shots. So I think we're going to have to learn here how to be number two. Uh, That's one big change. The other, of course, is, as you know, we have a very difficult relationship right now, and there are tariffs imposed on exports and imports in both directions. So I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the U.S. and China will find a way of avoiding conflict in the next 10 years so that by the year 2030 we have a different um, you know, balance between the two. Certainly things that have been going on in the past are not optimal for Americans. I mean, the Chinese have been taking advantage of our technology and so on. But I'm, I very much hope that we can find a new accommodation between these two countries that for a very long period of time are going to be the largest economies in the world. So tell me this in your book, who are the new millionaires, the new entrepreneurs and leaders of the future? Well, increasingly women. Uh, That is another big uh, prediction that I have in the book, that by the year 2030, women will own more than half of the wealth in the world. Increasingly, we're seeing women breaking barriers. Of course, there's still discrimination at many levels. But the situation is very different today than what it was 20 or 30 years ago. And it's going to continue improving because, as you know, now more women graduate from college than men here in the United States and in most other countries around the world. Uh, And also women, um, you know, um, are more risk-averse. So they tend to make better decisions over the long run with their savings, with their career choices, with all of that. So I do believe they have an advantage, uh, and uh, we shall see what happens in terms of the balance between the two genders. But my prediction is that we're going to see, from the point of gender equality, a much better world by the year 2030. Morrow's book is named, uh, is named 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. Of course, technology is one reason we're seeing so much change, Morrow, and you write about a great deal disruption. What uh, breakthroughs are we likely to see by 2030? Well, let me pick two. Uh, that uh, of all of the potential breakthroughs, the ones that I would really like to see happening. So one is that the sharing economy, instead of just being about Ubers or Lyfts or Airbnbs, is about eliminating waste. Because I think we do have an environmental crisis, not just a climate change uh, problem, but just uh, in terms of the use of resources. For example, the U.S. Department of Agriculture says that we waste about half of the food. Uh, I'm sorry, about a third of the food that we produce and uh, reaches our homes in the United States. So sharing platforms that are already starting to be organized can help us reduce that waste. Okay. And then the second uh, big change, I think, I would like to see some of all of those you know, technological innovations that we have, like virtual reality, help people, especially people when they have mental problems. Uh, you see, in medicine these days, we're seeing virtual reality applications to try to make uh, patients suffering from dementia feel better. And they report big improvements through the use of virtual reality. So I do hope that technology helps us in terms of our quality of life and in terms of reducing our waste. Uh, we, we continue to be very wasteful consumers. Mauro, talk about the collaborative economy in a world where people kind of gravitate towards a life with no possessions. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so I'm uh, invoking there the song, the famous song by 
uh, John Lennon, imagine no possessions, right? So what would that do? Uh, well, um, obviously, as you know, property rights and property, um, you know, it's everything in the market economy. It's everything in financial markets. Uh, but uh, as you know, younger generations are gravitating towards a lifestyle in which they prefer not to own things, but rather they want to use them for a fee or they want to share them. Uh, and again, I think this is all okay as long as it helps us address some of these other bigger problems that we have, including waste, as I just mentioned. Um, so, but it is um, undoubtedly a trend that is only going to grow in the near future. Uh, because once again, younger people, culturally, in terms of their mindset, they seem to be very, very happy about the idea of not owning property, but instead sharing. You know, Mauro, there's a great deal of speculation that we're heading towards a cashless society. How does that scenario fit into your forecast? <laughs> well, I definitely believe that uh, we're going to do away with cash once and for all. Uh, I think the bigger question is whether whatever form of money we have is going to be controlled by governments or, by contrast, we're going to have cryptocurrencies of some kind uh, be widely used. And as you know, so far, governments and central banks around the world, not just here in the United States, have been very, very reluctant to enable cryptocurrencies to prosper. Um, so I think uh, the jury is still out on that one. I believe that cryptocurrencies will succeed in the world if they become much more than just a substitute for money. So if instead of just being cryptocurrencies, they're digital tokens that enable us to do many other things in addition to making payments. So tell me this, what does the end of modern banking look like? It's something you wrote about in the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, banks have been around um, for a very long time. And as you know, the latest, I mean, the, before, uh, you know, apps on your phone to move money around, uh, the most important innovation was, I guess, ATMs. And uh, ATMs came along in the 1960s, so that was a very long time ago. I think banks need to reinvent themselves. And as you know, most of them are trading be uh, below book value not just here in the United States, but all over the world, which means that essentially investors are saying you're not worth you know, more than uh, the book value of your assets, right? There's something wrong with your business model. So I think banks need to you know, reinvent themselves. And they're only so far doing bits and pieces here and there. They're launching apps, they're doing this or that. And as you know, fintech apps are grabbing more and more market share away from them. So I think uh, unless banks reinvent themselves, and especially as we go through successive uh, crises, such as the one we're going through now, I think we're going to have a problem because uh, the financial sector, the banking sector, is extremely important to the economy. But we need them to innovate. We need them to change. We need them to become more congruent with what's going on in the world. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, trillions upon trillions of dollars of debt in the world and in the U.S. What does that look like for the U.S. in 2030? Well, I think, um, you know, we got a partial answer to that in the last few days from the Federal Reserve. Uh, you know, in addition to the, Fed, the Fed's essentially saying we're going to focus more on unemployment rather than inflation, I think uh, the indirect message there is that, look, uh, maybe an additional half percentage point in inflation will help us as a country get out of debt. Because, as you know, inflation tends to benefit people or entities like governments who owe money. Um, so I think, uh, you know, uh, 
it's very clear that debt is going to become a major preoccupation. But we do have uh, tools at our disposal, you know, to try to reduce the amount of debt as a percentage of GDP of gross domestic product, which this week apparently we crossed the 100% mark uh, here in this country. So I think uh, we have uh, slightly higher inflation as one tool. The other one, of course, is to return to GDP growth. If the economy grows, then the stock of debt as a percentage of the economy will become smaller. So I'm optimistic about it. I think the priority right now should be to restart the economy, to go back to growth. And then I think we can deal with uh, debt, especially if we can tell the politicians in Washington that they need to get serious about it. You know, a last question for you, Mauro. There's a lot of opinions as to if we are or how fast we are heading down the path of socialism. How does the concept of socialism fit into your thesis? Well, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, there are uh, segments of uh, the American population who react negatively to an increasing role of the government in the economy. And I generally agree with the principle that it's best to have markets and to have consumers and investors and workers and companies make the decisions as opposed to the government. So I'm in favor of uh, not uh, having the government make decisions whenever there is a private actor that can make those decisions. Now, having said that, uh, you know, we saw this 12 years ago during the financial crisis that sometimes you do need the government to step up to the plate and help. But I do strongly believe that then the government has to retreat uh, to, uh, you know, the preceding uh, position in the economy so that markets can then operate. Uh, and I also believe that the government has to regulate. It has to point out when there are abuses of market power, as perhaps we're seeing right now with big tech. Um, so, again, I think uh, the government should be like an accordion, you know, um, expanding when it's needed, but then, you know, going back to its original role uh, when the economy in particular is doing well. Well, the name of the book is 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. Morrow, it's so great to have you on the program, and congratulations for making the uh, Wall Street Journal top uh, bestseller list, number five. Uh, Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, sir. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. i got to tell you, this is an interesting book. He also has a section in in the back that he gives tips of how to adjust. And one of the things that he talks about is, uh, where is it? Okay, he talks about how to approach, approach uncertainty with optimism. And I love how he reframes uncertainty, but it's a great book, got a lot of really good information. I think that the more that you uh, read about what could be, what the future could look like, the better you're prepared for changes and changes in trends. We definitely know that there are a lot of changes going on, and uh, it's uh, good to get it, get an idea from a book like this. 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. Hey, this is Bob Brooks. If you've got a question for me, please go to the prudentmoney.com website and send it in, because we are all out of time. Until we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day.
that's all the time we have for today. Questions or comments for Bob or to find out more great information like what you've just heard, visit www.prudentmoney.com. Be sure to join Bob Brooks again for the next edition of Prudent Money.